Ah, well, thank you very much for your prayers for Richard. We're carrying on praying for um, the Towers family as well and Noah Farr and others in our community that are unwell. And if you do want prayer for anything, do, do you speak to Christine. She puts together a lovely uh, prayer email that goes out to those in the church that, that enjoy praying. If you want to be part of that praying community as well, do, do you speak to her. But let's just pray together now. Father, thank you for your words. I pray this morning that you would speak to us through this word and help us to uh, lean into it, that we might gain the treasure that you have for each one of us. Amen. My uh, middle son, Ben, was very, very fortunate to go on his year six primary school trip last week. They got to go to Devon and they went to a great outward bound sort of centre and had a fabulous time. And we were told to collect them from the school at 6pm in the evening. And, uh, and so we were there waiting and then it was seven and, you know, anyway, ended up 9 p.m. This coach arrived with these bedraggled children on it. Now, unwittingly, a group of parents who were friends from reception had decided that we would do a camping trip, a final finale, the end of primary school. And they booked it for this weekend in Sussex. And so as these kids piled off the coach, to our amazement, they were excitedly going, yay, we're camping together this weekend. And I looked at Ben and I just said, darling, it's nine o'clock. I think it would be much more sensible if we just get up in the morning and we go for Saturday. I'm really sorry. You know that we can't stay for Sunday, but we can go for Saturday. I'll get, we can get up really early. And as his little kind of tears started to form in his eyes, and he said, but Ella's already there, isn't she? And I said, yes, I'm sorry she went in so-and-so's car. She's there already. But that's not fair. It's my friends, mummy. It's my year group. And he's there with his little tears coming. And I'm thinking, this is bad. He's tired anyway. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a disaster. All right, Ben. We'll do it. Me and you, we'll go. We're leaving Daddy. He's not well enough. We're going to go. It'll be a mummy-son adventure. Fine. So there I am, driving down these country roads, 10.30 at night now, in the pitch black, weaving through these country lanes, thinking, I don't know, I've never been to this campsite before. I can't find it. It's dark. We're going to have to put up a tent in the dark when we get there. It's, oh, this is awful. And you just think, the lengths you go to for your children sometimes, <laughs> if you're a parent, can be huge. Everything within me did not want to be doing this, but we ended up having a lovely time. We got there and we camped. But as I was driving through the pitch black, I just sensed the Lord nudging me and saying, the lengths you're going to for Ben right now are nothing, nothing compared to the lengths that I go to. I love my children so much. And sometimes the lengths I go to will be to touch them deeply and intimately and warmly and to embrace them so they know my deep love for them. And sometimes the lengths I go to are hard for me, but they're for their own good too. And the lengths I go to for them sometimes mean I kind of shout warning at them. 
And the book of Zephaniah is one that's not preached on often in church because in our culture, we don't really like it. We don't want to hear like the bad stuff from God. We just want the hug stuff from God. Um, but, but two of the chapters, you've got to wait for the third sermon in the series to get the hug stuff from God. It's coming, okay? He loves you and it's coming. But the first two chapters are chapters of warning, And the book of Zephaniah acts a bit like a torch, and it's warning because God loves you, but he wants to highlight things to you that need sorting out. And it's a bit like a torch, and I was using this torch earlier this week, and I was going around the church buildings, and um, if if you kind of look up in certain areas and you use a torch, the mess and the cobwebs become really, really apparent. And it's a bit, the book of Zephaniah is a bit like a torch for us today. It exposes some of the mess in our lives. And so it's a little bit uncomfortable. So the book of Zephaniah acts like a torch. But any little bit of discomfort we feel as we go through the first two chapters, you need to know it's the lengths God is going to to get your attention. And it's going to be for your own good. And it's because he deeply loves you. And loves you enough not to let you sit with filth and mess. So this book of Zephaniah is a warning. So we're going to look uh, just a little bit at a bit of background to this book. um, Because I don't think it is well known. Has anyone heard a sermon on Zephaniah before? Some of you hardcore people will have done, I'm sure. But it's not preached on a lot in many churches. Um, So there we go. Bit of background. And then we're going to pick up on a little bit that we might try and take away with us living in West London today. So a bit of background. So Josiah is king of God's people. You might want to have your Bibles open to have a little look, follow along. And it's around the year 545 BC. Josiah would have been about 18 years old when he was king, quite young to be a king. And then his cousin, Zephaniah, who's about kind of like early 20-ish, early 20s, comes up to Josiah the king, his cousin, and says, hey cousin, I've got this word from the Lord. And it's an interesting moment because you don't know how Josiah is going to take cousin Zephaniah's word from the Lord. And we'll see how that goes in a minute. Now, Zephaniah's word from the Lord is one of judgment, and his word comes as a huge warning to us, as we've said. It's like a big torch, a big flashlight, warning us, highlighting and showing up the mess. In verse 12, he says this. He says, there's some people out there that think God is going to do nothing. God's going to do nothing, either good or bad. They just think God is some sort of like... Distance force maybe exists somewhere out there. He's not going to do anything, either good or bad. Well, I know a lot of people who think that today. And Zephaniah says, I need to warn you because that is not true. God is not going to do nothing. And Zephaniah says, actually, 
God's going to judge. And he speaks of two different types of judgment in our passage today and throughout the book. Firstly, he talks of a universal judgment that's coming to the whole of the world. And he does that in verses 1 to 3. And when you read this um, passage, it's sort of like, I will sweep away. I will stretch out my hand. I will destroy. I will do this judgment. But we know, if we've read our Bibles, that God is not going to sweep away the whole earth again. And we know that because we've read the story of Noah. We know that God says, I am not going to judge like that until the end. So we know when we read those first few verses that actually they are prophesying far beyond Zephaniah's time to the ultimate universal final judgment. Their language is of that type of language of the final end times to come. But in verses 4 to 6, we also see Zephaniah prophesying a local judgment that's going to fall on God's people. And uh, that judgment's going to be for a limited period of time, and it's going to be local and real and in, in their historical time frame. So, what's Josiah going to do when he hears these words from the Lord, from cousin Zephaniah? What's he going to do? Or how would you feel if your cousin rocked up to you and said, I've got a word from the Lord for you? I wonder, wonder how seriously you take them. Can you picture that cousin right now, those of you that have got cousins? How seriously are you going to take your cousin? I wonder. Well, we could all uh, react very differently, couldn't we, to a family member coming up and saying, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Um, and Josiah certainly could have behaved in a number of ways. But do you know how Josiah responds? It's amazing. He just goes, oh my goodness, I need to listen to you, cousin Zephaniah. And in humility, Josiah listens to his cousin. And it says this in 2 Kings uh, 23, verse 25. It says this about King Josiah. It says, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord like he did with all of his heart, with all of his whole soul and with all of his strength. In the whole of scripture, in the whole of time, there's neither been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, all of his strength. You see, Josiah took cousin Zephaniah's words seriously, and he turned to the Lord, and he responded to God. And you know, um, he did this incredible thing. He instigated a widespread reform. He destroyed all the idols. He renovated the temple. And in the process of renovating uh, God's temple, tucked away in the corner of the temple, they found the ancient scriptures. They found the word of the Lord that had been dusty and not looked off, looked after and looked at for ages. Maybe a bit like some of the Bibles tucked away in houses in West London. But he found the scripture and he found the word of the Lord and he brought it out and he made the people read it and listen to the word of God. And he encouraged them not just to listen to it, but then to obey it. 
And if you want to read that, it's, it's one of the most amazing counts in Scripture of, of Reformation, and you can find it in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, or in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 to 35, and it's documented this incredible story of Josiah reforming the nation of Israel and bringing them back to God. So that's a bit of the background to Zephaniah and this prophecy. But we're going to turn now and just look at a couple of things that we might then take away with us today as we head back into to the world this week. And I'm just going to suggest three things that I think uh, we can take with us today. The first thing I think we need to take is that God's judgment is serious stuff. If we really believe in our God, who is alive and active, then verse 12 of this passage needs to be really significant to us. We need to know that God isn't just going to do nothing. And God's judgment is serious. And we learn in verses 4 to 6 the ways that God is going to judge his own people. And it says these things. He's going to judge those who worship other gods. He's going to judge his people who secretly worship other gods. He's going to judge his people who worship him, but also worship several other gods at the same time. And he's going to judge his people who used to worship the Lord, but neither seek him or inquire of him anymore. And we may not have little stone idols in our houses that we bow down to when we get back from church. But we need to know that our God is going to judge what we worship. And so coming with that comes this full force of the uncomfortableness of that torch shining the cobweb in our hearts of saying, what are you worshipping? Are you worshipping other gods? Are you secretly worshipping other gods? Are you worshipping the Lord God, but also worshipping X, Y, Z? Did you used to worship God, but actually at the moment you don't, you don't really inquire of him, you don't, don't involve him in your life? And Zephaniah says, God is going to judge what we worship, and we need to take that seriously. And so that's the first thing that we need to take from this passage today. And we need to take it from this passage today because we can choose to bury our head in the sand, or we can choose to be like King Josiah, and we can choose to make a change, and we can choose to reform things. So that's the first thing we're going to take. God is going to judge and he takes it seriously. But the second thing um, we need to know is that external reforms on their own don't actually work. So what do I mean uh, by that? Um, 
It's a bit like I was listening to someone telling me, she ran a pub, um, she was telling me this on the campsite this week, and um, there was a bit of a, a kind of thing amongst like rugby players where they'd lift somebody up in the pub to stick something on the ceiling, like a sticker of their club on the ceiling, and apparently this happens quite a lot in pubs, but obviously as a, as a landlady, she didn't really want them doing this, so she put up a sign saying, uh, please don't lift people up in my pub and stick signs on ceilings. Um, did anyone, did that change anyone's behaviour, what do you think? Yeah, no, of course it didn't. I'm looking out, there's a few of you teachers in the room, right? You know, just saying something or just implementing a new practice in and of itself doesn't bring deep and lasting change. And we need to learn this through uh, this passage because Josiah kind of stuck up the signs, as it were, to the people at the time. And sort of actually for a while it worked. But when he died, aged 39, the people went back to their old ways. And so 20 years after that, in 586 BC, verse 4 of our passage today is fulfilled. God's local judgment takes place on his people. And Babylon comes in, destroys the city, and the people are carried into exile. Because the external reform, though good, on its own, didn't change people's heads and hearts. And you see, we can do things like we can rearrange things in church. We can get things looking totally fancy. I mean, we're, we're kind of kind of doing that to some extent. And actually, there's loads of good in that, absolutely tons of good in it. But in and of itself it won't produce lasting fruit. You see, we need to have that central conviction direct into the heart of each individual that like Josiah, they turn to the Lord with the whole of themselves. And I believe today that that can only fully happen with help from the Holy Spirit. And it's something that we need to pray for, for ourselves, and certainly be praying for our nation. Come, Holy Spirit. I, I'm so hungry for God to do that deep, transformative work in a head and heart that only he can do. And so we need to take that from this book, that as much as we try, as much as we might do some good stuff, and we're not called not to do that good stuff, but as much as we do all that, ultimately, in and of itself, external reform will not produce long-lasting fruit. And so I think for us today as a church, then to apply that is to go, how are we doing at praying? Because if it's, if it's not just what we're going to do, how are we doing at praying for ourselves and for our community? And for some of us, that might be a little bit of a challenge. Oh, yeah, actually, maybe I need to come to the, the prayer meetings when we start them again next academic year. Maybe I, you know, how am I doing at that? Where might I need some help to be praying? So, God's judgment is serious. 
external reform of itself. If you leave here today and go, right, I'm just going to put this in place because that's going to help me stop sinning and worship God more and da 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 But in and of itself, that will not produce long-lasting fruit. You need to pray for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit to help you and grace you and be in you. So here's the first two things. And then finally, we're coming into land. Do you know, um, before we land, I'm just going to tell you a really silly story. This is one of the worst things I've ever done in my life, okay, people? So um, I just really like it if you could be nice to me about it afterwards. Because um, you've all done stuff and I just don't, don't hear about it, right? Or at least I'm hoping that's true. Is that true, right? You've made some mistakes in your life. Thank you for the nods. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, here's one of mine. One of the ones I feel really, really ashamed about. And it's kind of really, really awful on one level and not so awful on another level. So here we go. Uh, when me and Richard got married, we got a ton of presents, which was so amazing, really lovely. And um, we got back to our flat at the end of our time away from a honeymoon. And my parents had just put all the gifts in our flat, which was great. Anyway, so we opened them up. We wrote our thank you letters. But we came across one gift. And it was this beautiful silver mirror with a big round frame. And around the edges of the frame were carved all these silver kind of dancing figures and characters around the mirror. And it was a beautiful mirror. But there was no card with this mirror. No one to say thank you to, couldn't work out who it had come from. And we had a small flat at the time that we were renting, and uh, there wasn't really like a wall that worked to put this mirror on. And so we just kind of never put it up. We liked the mirror, but we just, we never put it up, and it stayed in its box, and it kind of traveled around with us. And uh, four years later, we had a crazy summer of lots and lots of weddings and events to go to. It was just that season in life for us, and we were going to parties and weddings, all this kind of stuff. And, um, and we'd got ourselves totally double booked. There were like two weekends in a row where we were both dividing and conquering so that we could get to all the different weddings and parties and things we needed to do. And it was a bit of a rush because we were vicars at that time, so you had to kind of just do the Saturday, and then you'd be driving back late for the Sunday and all that kind of craziness. And we, and we were doing all this. And... Um, and it was Bethany's wedding, and, um, and I was going somewhere else, and I'd got the present organized, and I don't think Richard had thought about Bethany's wedding. And uh, So um, I was like, ah, we haven't got a gift. And I was rummaging around quickly to find a gift that we could give Bethany for her wedding. And I saw the mirror in its box, and I know you're already there, and you're cringing. Um, and I got the mirror, and I just, I looked at it, and I just thought, this is so Bethany. It's just so her. She'd love this. It's like, it's just so her personality. It's just just the kind of thing she'd have in her house. It's just, it's so Bethany. We've, we've still not put it up. It's, in, it's, it's still in this really nice box. Okay, we'll just, we'll re-gift it. I'm done. Off you go, Richard. You go to that wedding with that present and I'll go. Oh, the painful exposing conversation when Bethany rang me up to go kind of uh did you really mean to re-gift the wedding gift I gave you to me at my wedding um it was pretty awful and I didn't really know Bethany that well she was more Richard's friends that's why he was going to that wedding and it was so embarrassing and I was just like oh yeah I'm such a cheapskate and really sorry I haven't been organized anyway it was really exposing and really really awkward we are meant to leave chapter one of Zephaniah with that feeling to some extent. 
that awkward, cringeworthy feeling. Why? Because many of us don't sit with it for long enough with the Lord, if I'm honest. We need to know that we need to be changed by his Holy Spirit. That the messy, cringeworthy stuff that we get wrong through our rushing around, through our not taking time, through whatever it is, is stuff he wants to deal with in us. Because his judgment is coming. And if you just rearrange your furniture, it's not going to change your head and heart. But finally, and here's where we do land, there is some hope for us. You see, God gives us these warnings because he loves us so much. He loves us so much. Eternity with God is not going to have any mess in it. And so he's going to work on us and deal with us because he loves us. And as we go through the book of Zephaniah, we begin to see little hints of ways that you and I can be sheltered from God's judgment. And it starts, did you catch that verse in our passage today, be silent before the Lord? It starts with silence. It starts with acknowledging you are God in heaven and you are above me and you know more than me and here am I on earth. It starts with that acknowledgement. It then goes on to call us to seek him. And in verse 7, we get that hint of an atoning sacrifice. And that atoning sacrifice begins, of course, to give us echoes of what Jesus does for us on the cross. We go with here from hope because you and I will always have messy bits to us. But the hope is that we know that as we surrender that to Jesus, we are sheltered from the full force of God's judgment and we get to be called his sons and daughters again and brought into right and good relationship with him. But his grace is not cheap. It cost him. And so sit with the uncomfortableness so that you and I don't rush out and do the same stuff again. But actually, we ask his Holy Spirit to convict us and work on us. And so this is God's word for us this morning. Shall we stand, uh, if you're able, um, and if you want to stay sitting, because that's better for you. It's just about uh, posturing ourselves just to uh, be with God right now. There's that real challenge this morning, just to check what we're worshipping. The challenge was the same for those guys back then. I know it was uh, gods that they sacrificed kids to, and it was stone idols and all that sort of thing that, that perhaps we don't relate to. But, but what are we worshipping? What is it that we worship? And is it, is it right that we're worshipping it? And so there's that challenge just to perhaps be asking God to reveal anything to us that they that we might just need to say sorry for today. Um, and then we might want to be 
like me today, you might just want to be saying, Holy Spirit, would you work on me? Because if I just try and sort my life out and make external changes on their own, it's not, it's not the deep work. I want you to do the deep work in me of making me more like Jesus Christ. And maybe that's your prayer today. Or maybe you're here saying, actually, you need to grasp hold of what Jesus did on the cross for you. One of those things. You may just want to be just asking God to work in you today. Let's just wait uh, just uh, for a moment on God's Holy Spirit. We've just got a little bit of time. We can respond to God. The band will then lead us in worship. But um, let's just wait. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We want to be changed because we've looked on your face today, God. Come, Holy Spirit, because the life you have for us in you is so exciting. Come, Holy Spirit, so each of us have that check this morning, just to check that we're walking with you, that we're worshipping you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.